For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. In September, Netflix released a limited series called The Empress, based on the life of Empress Elizabeth of Austria. Since then, there has been a big increase in interest in this fascinating, beautiful, and tragic woman from history. I'm surprised it took so long for a drama about her to reach an English-speaking audience, though there have been a number of movies and series about her made in Austria. She first came to my attention when I visited Vienna in my teens and bought a postcard of her most famous portrait by Franz Xavier Winterhalter. In it, she is wearing a gauzy white bejeweled ball gown with diamond stars in her long chestnut hair. She looks coyly over one bare shoulder and is every inch the Disney princess. But her life was far from a fairy tale. Let's get to know the real Empress Elizabeth Sissy of Austria. And now, without further ado, Queens of Europe. Empress Elizabeth of Austria. Empress Elizabeth of Austria was a woman of great beauty and gentleness. She was renowned for her compassion for the common people, as well as the many injustices and tragedies that befell her. Elizabeth was called Sissy by her family. She was born on Christmas Eve, 1837, the fourth of ten children born to Duke Maximilian Joseph in Bavaria and Princess Ludovica, the half-sister of King Ludwig I of Bavaria. Unlike most royals, Sissy had a happy childhood. She and her siblings were raised informally and enjoyed a great deal of freedom. Sissy often skipped her lessons to go riding in the countryside and met with local peasants with her liberal and eccentric father. She was a sweet and shy girl and grew into an exquisitely beautiful teenager with long chestnut brown hair. Meanwhile, in Austria, the 24-year-old Emperor Franz Joseph needed a wife. His domineering mother, Archduchess Sophia, who was often called the only man in the Hofbrau Palace, decided that she would prefer a niece rather than a stranger as a daughter-in-law. She invited her sister, Ludovica, and her eldest daughter, Helena, to meet them at a spa resort. Sissy accompanied her mother and older sister. The Bavarian ladies had to change coaches several times on the journey. They arrived late and their luggage had been lost en route. The ladies had no chance to change or freshen up before their royal presentation, and as they had been in mourning for an aunt, they were dressed in black and were not looking or feeling their best. 
While black did not suit 18-year-old Helena's coloring, it made her younger sister look all the more striking. Archduchess Sophia pushed her son off with his intended Helena, but the pair were ill at ease together and didn't hit it off. Franz Joseph was far more intrigued by the 15-year-old sissy. Sophia expected her son to follow her wishes and propose to Helena, but he refused and said that he would marry Elizabeth or never marry at all. Sophia decided that one niece was as good as another, and the couple were wed in Vienna on the 24th of April, 1854. Franz Joseph adored his young bride, but she was miserable in Vienna. After a relaxed and beatific childhood, she found the rigidly formal court stifling. She was still very much a child, emotionally dependent on her parents and not yet ready for the demanding role of a wife and empress. She began suffering health problems within weeks. She had coughing fits and was often anxious and frightened. Elizabeth gave birth to her first child just 10 months after the wedding. Her mother-in-law, Archduchess Sophia, named the baby after herself without consulting Elizabeth. Worse still, she snatched the child away from her mother, taking complete charge of her upbringing and refusing to let Elizabeth breastfeed or otherwise care for her beloved child. Elizabeth fell pregnant again and gave birth to a second daughter the following year, who was again snatched from her by Sophia. The Archduchess ignored Elizabeth's pleading to be allowed to be with her children and called her a silly young mother. Elizabeth begged her husband to intercede, but he would not upset his mother. Sophia also left a pamphlet on Elizabeth's desk, which basically said that a queen who failed to produce a male heir was worthless and should be cast off. In 1857, the 19-year-old Elizabeth, her husband, and their two small daughters went on holiday to Hungary. Elizabeth, undoubtedly elated to be away from court and the psychological torture of her wicked mother-in-law, fell deeply in love with the country and its people. Hungary at the time was part of the Austrian Empire and was seen as a romantic and wild frontier. Only a decade earlier, Hungarians had rebelled against their rulers in Austria, but had been repressed. The Empress was captivated by the country and sympathized with the plight of its people. But tragedy interrupted their tranquil holiday. Both daughters fell ill with diarrhea. One-year-old Gisela recovered, but two-year-old Sophia weakened and died in her mother's arms. The loss of her child pushed Elizabeth, already prone to melancholy, into a deep depression. She returned to court in Vienna in lower spirits than she had ever been before. Archduchess Sophia said that the baby's death was proof that Elizabeth was an unfit mother. While her husband and mother-in-law generally brushed off her overwhelming sadness, her own mother, at least, was very concerned about her well-being. She hoped that another baby, already on the way, might help Elizabeth recover. In 1858, Elizabeth gave birth to Crown Prince Rudolf of Austria. With the male heir finally delivered, the Empress was able to enjoy a more secure and slightly more powerful position at court. But she wasn't much happier. Franz Joseph was still passionately in love with his wife, but she did not return his feelings. He was a boring and unimaginative man, politically reactionary and completely dependent on the advice of his mother. He tried to tempt her into a more domestic life with him, but she was not interested. And now that she had provided him with an heir, she began to avoid sex with him. 
She instead threw herself into reading history, philosophy, literature, and learning languages, including Hungarian, which scandalized the Austrian court. She developed a great passion for the work of poet and radical political thinker Heinrich Hein and wrote numerous poems emulating his style. In them, she referred to herself as Titania, Shakespeare's fairy queen from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Elizabeth became obsessed with her health and beauty, as this was one of the few aspects in her life over which she had any control. She was 5'8", unusually tall for a woman of the time, and she maintained her weight at or under 110 pounds for the rest of her life. She exercised excessively. She had a gymnasium equipped in every castle the family frequented, and even had mats and balance beams installed in her bedroom. She frequently went horseback riding for hours at a time. Elizabeth dieted constantly, usually consuming only raw beef juice, milk, and eggs, and often refusing to eat at all for days at a time. She also wore a tight-laced corset, and at a particularly low time in her life, had a waist that was only 16 inches in circumference. Today, she would undoubtedly have been diagnosed with anorexia. She developed a horror of overweight women and transmitted this attitude to her youngest daughter, who was terrified when, as a little girl, she first met Queen Victoria. Elizabeth preferred to dress in simple, monochromatic clothes and wore very little makeup to show off her natural beauty. She employed a former theater hairdresser who spent three hours a day combing and braiding her ankle-length chestnut brown hair into elaborate styles. At the end of each session, he had to present the disapproving empress with any hairs that had fallen out. Her tresses were washed every two weeks in a concoction of eggs and cognac, and on a washing day, Elizabeth canceled all other obligations. She spent these many hours reading and learning Hungarian. By this time, her son, Rudolf, was four. He was sensitive like his mother, but his grandmother, Archduchess Sophia, insisted on a military education. Elizabeth openly rebelled against this plan, wanting to protect her son from this harsh upbringing, but she lost the fight. After years of struggling with Sophia and being struck down at every turn, Elizabeth had had enough. Her health was in tatters and her physicians ordered her to get away from court for rest and relaxation. She jumped at the chance and spent the winter in Portugal. While away from the strains of court, her health improved markedly, but on her journey home, she suffered a severe migraine and fits of vomiting. She left again at the earliest opportunity, this time for the Greek island of Corfu, which became a favorite destination. She spent the next several years avoiding her husband and traveling outside of Austria as much as she could. But she did have one pet cause that kept her coming back to Franz Joseph. She loved the Hungarian people and championed their cause to the emperor. She became friends with Hungarian politician Count Gula Andrasi, and it was rumored that the two were lovers. In 1867, Elizabeth conveniently decided that she wanted a fourth child and returned to Franz Joseph's bed. But her true intentions were to forge a peace between Austria and Hungary. Hungarians were champing at the bit for another revolution, while many in Vienna wanted to crush the rebel nation. Elizabeth managed to get both sides to the table and secured the Austro-Hungarian Compromise of 1867, which established the dual monarchy of Austria-Hungary. Hungary now had their own parliament, but the two countries worked in tandem regarding defense and foreign relations. 
Andrashi was elected prime minister. Friends Joseph and Elizabeth were crowned king and queen of Hungary in June. They were presented with the country residence outside Budapest, which Elizabeth made her primary residence for the next several years. There she gave birth to her fourth and final child, Marie Valerie, who was dubbed the Hungarian child. Elizabeth was determined to bring up this child on her own, away from her mother-in-law. She poured all of her repressed maternal feelings on her young daughter, nearly smothering her. In 1872, Archduchess Sophia died, finally leaving Elizabeth in peace. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. By contrasting both the experiences of contemporaries and the conclusions of historians, Grey History dives into the detail and unpacks one of the most important and disputed events in human history. From a revolution based on hope and liberty to its descent into the infamous Reign of Terror, there's plenty to discuss and plenty of grey to explore. One can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So if you're looking for your next long-form, binge-worthy history podcast, one recommended by universities and loved by enthusiasts, then check out Grey History, the French Revolution today. Or simply search for the French Revolution. Elizabeth was deeply empathetic and took an interest in the care and treatment of those with mental illness. I'm sure she could also relate to their plight to some degree. When her husband asked her what she would like for her saint's day, she listed a young tiger, a medallion, but a fully equipped lunatic asylum would please me most. As she aged, her obsession with preserving her beauty deepened. She experimented with countless facial creams and tonics and had a rigid daily skincare regime. She took a cold shower every morning, which aggravated her arthritis, and an olive oil bath every evening. She also slept with a leather face mask filled with crushed strawberries or raw veal. At age 32, she decided that she did not want her public image of eternal beauty to ever change. So she never again sat for another portrait and refused to allow her photograph to be taken. In 1889, her 30-year-old son, Rudolf, and his 17-year-old mistress, Baroness Mary Vetsera, were found dead in his hunting lodge. The deaths were a result of either a murder-suicide or a suicide pact. Elizabeth was devastated and wore black for the rest of her life. The scandal increased public interest in the elusive empress, much to her distress. Her relationship with Franz Joseph had improved after his mother's death and they maintained a warm friendship. He often expressed hopes that she would stay with him in Vienna, but she preferred to escape her sorrows by continuing to travel. She liked to remain incognito and avoid meeting foreign royals as much as possible. In 1898, the 60-year-old Empress was visiting Geneva, Switzerland. 
she and her lady-in-waiting, Countess Irma, went for a walk along the lake to catch a steamship. While on the promenade, a young man approached them and attempted to peer under Elizabeth's parasol. He stumbled into the women and then took off. The Empress collapsed and was helped aboard the steamship by Irma and a coachman. Once on board, Irma noticed a small red stain spreading on Elizabeth's blouse. The young man had been an Italian anarchist whose original plan was to assassinate the Duke of Orléans. But when he left the city early, any royal would do and Elizabeth became the new target. She had been stabbed in the chest with a four-inch needle file. Elizabeth briefly regained consciousness and Irma asked if she was in pain, to which she replied, no, what happened? She then drifted out again and never returned. Her body was brought back to Vienna, the place she had been trying to escape for decades. The inscription on her coffin read Elizabeth, Empress of Austria, and when her beloved Hungarians complained, and the Queen of Hungary was hastily added. Her love of the common people and her blameless life caused an outpouring of grief and disbelief at her assassination. Her will stipulated that most of her jewels be sold and the money given to charity. Elizabeth had been Empress of Austria for 44 years. Her friend, poet Carmen Silva wrote, her death was beautiful, calm and great, within the sight of beloved, great nature, painless and peaceful. Only to the world did it seem horrific. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be putting out new episodes each Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos. Thank you for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight. And of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.